is going on, everybody? My name is Gabe. And I'm Matt. And this is the Tentacle Bot Podcast. And today we're going to be breaking down something a little spicy. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> how spicy is it, Gabe? Uh, spicy enough that this band has put out 17 albums over the last like 40 some odd years. Yeah, that sounds about right. You might be wondering, who is this band? Well, I'm going to tell you. So today we're actually reviewing Iron Maiden's new drop uh, titled Senjutsu. Uh, this one was released September 3rd of 2021 via Parlophone. Um, and I was also seeing some call-outs to BMG, um, and it was specific to the U.S., so it might be BMG was just who was uh, distributing for um, them in the U.S. Um, who is Iron Maiden? Uh, it's going to be comprised of Bruce Dickinson on vocals. We have Steve Harris on bass, Nico McBrain on drums, and then we have three guitarists. Um, we have Adrian Smith, Dave Murray, and Janet Gers. Um, first impressions, man. Honestly, overall, I was kind of underwhelmed with this album. Mm-hmm. I uh, my, my favorite Maiden album is Fear of the Dark, no doubt. Like, okay. I love that album to death, and it's the bar that I hold everything to. Uh, and while there's definitely standout parts throughout this album, it just really doesn't hold a candlelight to that masterpiece. Most of these songs felt like ballads. They were often entirely too long. Specifically, like that second half of the record was just mm-hmm. way too long. And um, it just felt like the band's age was showing in terms of the expected ferocity with Iron Maiden that I grew up loving. That's fair. Yeah, no, so um, I, I found myself um, really disappointed as well. Um, and... I mean, obviously, if you're into rock or metal music is, you know, who Iron Maiden is, you know, to some extent what their legacy is. Um, And if this is the first record that you were jumping into in this band's discography, if you're kind of like me, um, where you just haven't listened to any other records all the way through and it's a pretty limited exposure, um, you're going to be asking, like, why? Why does everyone seem to hold this band this highly? Um, and it's just, unfortunately, this record is, again, disappointing. Um, musically, um, we'll just jump right into the musical review. Uh, musically, you hear what you typically would expect from Iron Maiden. Focus on riffs, but they never overtake Bruce, which allows him to kind of do the vocal acrobatics that he's been known for. Um, we get galloping mixed in uh, throughout the songs that's reminiscent of Run to the Hills, um, which is very much carried by the drums. Um, which also just never really gets a chance to just flourish and never really takes off at any point. Um, they, they, like you said, 41 years they've been around. They've got 17 studio albums and something like 13 live albums. Yeah, that's um, right. So I, I, I unfortunately, again, because that my, my exposure to them is a, a pretty limited pool, is I can't speak of their evolution, so I can't really say, you know, this, you know, they've evolved into this over the last however many years. It sounds like Iron Maiden. Yeah, pretty much. Um, the guitar work, as always, is fantastic. Like, after 17 albums, like it's it's impressive to really still find riffs, and I applaud them on that while still staying true to their sound. Uh, there are a few moments on this album it feels like they're not playing to a click, and there's, like, hiccups that are going on, and they change tempo and time signature. It's just, it feels very weird. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it feels very out of place and yeah, I, it just gave it kind of sort of an off feel on certain parts, specifically like time machine is a a really big one for me. And I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, I also do need to commend Bruce's voice, which still holds up to his voice of the earlier maiden days. And while it's changed, obviously with age, I mean, 40 years of, uh, vocals, no matter how perfect you're doing them, 
in how correct you're doing them. Like your voice is going to change just with age, and I yeah. feel like he's done well adapting that while still holding true to the maiden sound. Yeah. And uh, just kind of jumping back to the guitar thing where you kind of called out that things kind of sounded weird. There was, I can't remember what song it was, but as I was listening to the record, is there was a song, is you hear the guitar playing a riff, and the sound that you would hear, um, and it sounded like unintentionally when you move your hand down the neck of the guitar, and especially with distortion, is that scraping sound, Mm -hmm. is it sounded like they were recording the riff and they just got done finishing and the guitarist went and you know stopped playing and just moved his hand down the neck and it's it just felt like it was cut really weird and the the guitar slide just felt really out of place and just unnatural so um, there's definitely a few kind of weird things on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the lyrical um, breakdown. Uh, hit me with what you what your thoughts on it. In, in true maiden fashion, like many of the lyrics revolve around veiled war tactics and imagery, um, mm-hmm. while still having like a tinge of biblical reference. The glaring one being writing on the wall. I've never really had an issue with maiden lyrics, and while they don't speak to me specifically, they're always well written and well phrased. And comparing to the Carnifex record that we listened to last week. Or I guess earlier, I, I don't know. Time is a man-made concept anymore. Uh, <laughs> it, it was kind of a nice breath of fresh air because of things being, you know, written. I don't want to say properly because art is an expression uh, of the human form, but at the same time, like there's still certain things that things will fall into, and it'll make it end up being better. And I, obviously, Maiden takes care of that for me. Yeah. So uh, Bruce Dickinson explains in an interview with Kerrang that lyrically this record references war a lot. Uh, he and the meaning of the record is roughly translated as either strategy and tactics or the art of war. Uh, that being said, he also stated that this is not a concept album. In that same interview, he states the record was written and finished back in 2019 and speaks about the poor state of the world. Um, and here he said in a way that we won't talk about on the podcast since it has the sweary bits. <laughs> I mean, he, there, there was a lot, there was a lot of it. I'm like, we're going to, we're going to need to just kind of clean that up, <laughs> but said some of what is said on the record does still have application still to the post COVID lockdown world. Lyrics scream power metal and how the lines and phrasing help paint a very vast picture that can almost be seen as fantasy. I go so far as to say that this kind of lyric writing is some of my favorite just due to the fact it allows different stories to be told in songs outside of our daily life. And in the case of some bands based off of actual historical events. So Mm -hmm. um, Sabaton being a prime example of it. Yeah, I got to agree with you there. And. I didn't see that same interview, so that's cool. Yeah. Uh, Before we jump into the track-by-track breakdown, let's go ahead and jump into the album artwork. The artwork here, I actually have the artist for this one, thankfully. Uh, This was done by Mark Wilkinson, who's also done uh, artwork on other Maiden albums, Judas Priest, and Fish albums, as well as other artists. Um, It features Eddie the Zombie in Full Samurai Getup. The Iron Maiden name is across the top. The image, and vertically written down the left in a font to reflect Japanese characters, is the album title. Uh, while it's a cool image and neat to see Eddie in the samurai imagery, it really has very little to do with the album and is really just kind of there for the cool factor. The yeah. uh, the closest things really relating on the album are going to be the first two tracks, Sinjutsu and Stratego. Uh, beyond that, there isn't really like a lot of specific Japanese imagery, and I think it was just kind of one of those things where they just 
had an idea for Eddie to be in Get Up, and it's really just gratuitous at this point that they need to throw him in some sort of attire to grab the viewer's attention. Yeah, and Bruce Dickinson, I believe it was in the uh, the Kerrang! interview. It may have been another one that I had read. I just failed to grab the... Uh, it, it was either the Kerrang! interview I had read or there was a Loudwire one that I had read. And he pretty much said, he was like, what better reason than getting Eddie in a samurai yep, outfit? Exactly. <laughs> and so I was just like, okay, I get it. Uh, but next up, we're going to get into the track-by-track track breakdown, which is exactly what you'd think it is. Starting off with the first song, Senjutsu. What are your thoughts, man? Uh, title track, right out the gate. Um, that, as you mentioned earlier, it roughly translates to uh, tactics and strategy, which is kind of a sub-theme throughout the songs, on, uh, a few of the songs on the album. Uh, it definitely sets the tone for sets the tone sets the tone for the album fairly well. Um, it's a lot more of a ballad driven song, and it's really groovy instead of just kind of straightforward galloping fast beats that kind of stuff. The drums in the beginning, according to Dixon, Dickinson, are meant to give a reflection of Japanese taiko drums, which were kind of like their war drums that they used. Mm-hmm. Uh, and lost my spot. There it is. Uh, another cool factor about the song is the fact that it doesn't really actually have a song structure to it. It's really comprised of more like a story setup mm-hmm. and doesn't have like actual real chorus. Um, it's definitely an interesting way to start the album. And Bruce Dickinson said that he was excited to start off tours with this song. Okay. And that would make sense, especially with like that slow build of just the drums. And it, again, it gets into a really sick, kind of almost epic riff coming in to just really signal everything else in. Tempo really doesn't change until the chorus, which adds just that little bit of variance to this song. Chorus in quotation marks. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But just so that way it doesn't become monotonous. The solos in this one are nothing to scoff at, and there's like three of them. Um, So we get to see the technical ability showcased here throughout this song. Uh, though the gu- though the guitars don't get as big and wild as I've heard some Maiden material, as well as just other metal or rock bands from that era, uh, so it's a, it's nice to see that they're able to still bring the heat. Really, is a good way to put yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Uh, then it jumps into the second song, Stratego, and uh, I'm I'm gonna quote this before I pass the mic off to you here, Matt. Uh, the quote from Dickinson's Apple Music interview: "Stratego is a board game. I've never played it, but it's kind of similar to chess." <laughs> he goes on to explain um, that I, I, I felt that this was a funny way to begin explaining the song, but he goes on to to explain that this led him down a research hole to find that find the game that Strategio Strategio. Wow, I I cannot speak today. You good dude? <laughs> no, apparently not. <laughs> to find out that the game Stratego was based on, and there's a Japanese equivalent of that base game called Shoji, and that is designed around strategy and war tactics, which is kind of like the core message of the song. Okay. Uh, musically, I like the song. It's one of the faster ones on the record, and the melodic lines found throughout the song are really neat and maiden-esque. What yeah. do you got for this one? So this one, uh, so Stratego clocks in at about half the time of the prior song, and it really doesn't hesitate to show Iron Maiden really doing what they've done before in the past. We get the steady, steady galloping beat that makes you bob your head along to it. Uh, guitar riff is simple and catchy. The solo in this song is a lot more big and pronounced compared to the uh, the title track of the song. Uh, and see, really hearing them do that really kind of scratch that itch that I, I typically have, especially with listening to 
rock and metal bands and especially if you're a bit of a legacy artist is i'm kind of wanting you to play those even if it's not the fastest solo is just something big pronounced and just kind of just you make the stank face because you're just sitting there you're just listening to them rip and uh being able to hear that here was really a nice thing to have mm -hmm. absolutely um i don't really have much more on this one do you not, nothing for cool me. then we'll go ahead and jump into the writing on the wall matt why don't you start us off on this one so the opening sounds like the start of a gunfight in a Western movie, and you can't tell me otherwise. <laughs> um, riff kicks in, um, keeps a little bit of that energy, but it's definitely a lot more made or Maiden-esque once that happens. Uh, very much classic rock song, which Bruce Dickinson stated in that um, interview with Kerrang. He, he very much stated that this one was more geared towards classic rock. A couple bands that I had seen he was referencing a little bit, um, Jethro Tull and Deep Purple, so mm -hmm. kind of in that vein. The chorus is extremely simple in the melody and effective. We get a solo in this one, uh, which is basically a given, but it's not as good as the last two songs. It's not too bad for a first single off the record. Honestly, I think this is my favorite song on the album. Really? Yep. Like, so I, I really like the outlaw Southern rock kind of vibe that it starts out with. I, yeah. I feel like that just, it, it's cool. It's something that we haven't really heard Maiden do a lot before. And I like seeing them kind of branch in that, in that regard. Lyrically and musically, it's a cool song and honestly has one of the most memorable choruses on the album. Uh, Dickinson stated lyrically, it's a great song to reflect where we are in today's climate. And musically, it, it's musical contrast with being... While still being Maiden, it, I think, is what helps raise it up so high on my list. Okay. It, it's in a competing spot for another song that we'll get to here in a few. I'm curious. But we'll jump right into the next one. Lost in a Lost World. This song clocks in at about nine and a half minutes, so it's a longer one to listen to. Give me some of your thoughts on this one. So this starts. Th this song starts out really low, uh, with a very swirling phase-like effect on Dickinson's voice, mm -hmm. uh, kind of like in the realm of like Pink Floyd or old hair metal ballads. Mm -hmm. uh, the track kicks in. We don't get really any more of it, which I'm fine with because honestly, I'm not a huge fan of that kind of a vocal effect anyway. Mm -hmm. That's just a personal thing, really. The bass is really pronounced on this track, and it's super solid. Uh, it's not super often that you get bass put that much in the front, so I was really enjoying that. Uh, the chorus is catchy, kind of annoying, but I find myself humming it a lot. Uh, just since listening to this album on repeat as of late. The ending has a very Fear of the Dark vibe, and I really like it a lot. Okay. Yeah, o overall, like I, I like the song itself. Okay. Yeah, so the beginning of the song, um, it did have me thinking that we were going to be getting into a much slower song, but about two minutes in, we're uh, given that same tempo and energy that we've seen before on the record. The section right before the chorus, so you could call it a pre-chorus, but it almost sounds like it could be a bridge. Uh, the guitar riff does not sound very good at all. The song's guitar work is honestly not really pleasant for my taste. The solo is somewhat redeeming, but I'm just not really feeling it. Um, I kind of found it to be a weak addition to the record. I disagree with you. Respectfully, you're wrong. <laughs> Disrespectfully. I'll fight you. <laughs> <laughs> Days of future past. The main riff for the verse is real nice. I really like that main riff. Mm -hmm. um, but really, again, based on my limited exposure, is this is really what I would expect from the band. Riffy verses, big chorus, the obligatory solo, and 
this one unfortunately was pretty weak um it's a much more welcome song than the last so that's at least a plus yeah this one um, Dickinson stated in his Apple Music interview that this song was closest to what they were getting to power. Dude, are you good? I always sneeze in threes. Two is max, okay? Anything above three, and you're like, <laughs> you, you, you've got something going on, okay? And that something usually is a demon hiding with the, with the demon. <laughs> I will neither I confirm keep nor deny these. <laughs> so as I was saying before, I was so rudely interrupted. <laughs> Dickinson stated in his Apple Music interview that this song was the closest that they were really going to be getting to the Power Slave slash Peace of Mind era Maiden, and I definitely agree with him in that regard, um, being a fan of both of those albums. One of the higher energy songs on the album, for sure. Uh, it's interesting that the guitar solo doesn't go on for an extended period of time, which is something that Maiden does in the past, but it really doesn't feel like the song is missing it. Uh, for me, I really like the chorus on this one, and th th this is the song that kind of fights for my number one between this one and uh, Writing on the Wall. Really? Yes. Hmm. I'm Th not alone in this because this is one of the more popular ones from fans and other critics as well. Gotcha. So following Days of Future Past, we do have the song The Time Machine. And per that Kerrang interview, the song is literally about a time machine. So kind of going in is I'm a little worried that we're just kind of walking into some uninspired territory it just it's just a little bit too on the nose getting into the song itself though the vocals in the first verse are extremely different from what we've heard before it's kind of like a spoken word done with a fry vocal adds a little bit of an eerie vibe and actually kind of reminds me of like a musical which is weird it's almost uh les miserables uh, like I've heard some of the soundtrack of that, the most recent movie is that's what I was kind of getting a little bit of vibes out from. So kind of interesting. It's weird. Lyrically, chorus is cheesy. The section where Bruce sings about have I ever told you about my time machine is both cheesy, but also good. And I kind of like how, you know, he, he says it and it again is just so on the nose. But if you read the section, that comes after is it's almost kind of him saying like, this is, you know, this is what my life has been and, you know, some of the things that I've done. So I thought that was kind of cool that he was referencing that with his ages, he's just seen a lot of different things and been around the world. So I thought that was a kind of a cool thing. Some of the riffage in this still is a bit of a turnoff for me. So it's making me want to go back to older material and see if it might just be a situation where it's just where they are now, or if it's just I'm not a big Maiden riff guy. Um, we get some gallops in here, so I'll make sure to call that out, but I do think this might be contend for my least favorite. Uh, probably going to end up sitting about second least favorite, though, on the record for me. I hate this song. I can't blame you. Uh, yeah, so th th this one's really annoying melodically for it, uh, melodically for me. Um, there's nothing specifically wrong in that regard. It just, I personally don't like it. Mm -hmm. uh, interestingly enough, uh, according to some Reddit threads, to be taken with a grain of salt, obviously, but um, it appears that songwriter Janet Gers on this one wrote this song to be effectively an inspired melody of his work. Um, they were saying that it references a lot of previous songs that he has written in the past. Okay. Uh, just musically and I don't know so much lyrically, but so it was kind of like a juxtaposition of the time machine versus like a time machine through his work. Okay. So if that's the case, that's cool. That being said, it 
really was an issue that a lot of these pieces just change time signature, or not time signature, but change tempo so abruptly. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of issue with the way that the song was, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Composed, I guess. Okay. It just, it, I, I feel like you have to be like the truest of a Maiden fan to really appreciate this song, if that's the case. And if not, then I really just feel like this is kind of a dud on the album. Yeah, no, I, and I can agree with that. And like I said, it, it's very much the, going towards the bottom for me. Um, let's jump into the next song, Darkest Hour. Um, I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Song is 100% a ballad, literally ripped right out of the 80s. Like, I was listening to it, and I was genuinely irritated. This is my least favorite song on the record. Really? Yeah. This one? Yes. Darkest Hour. Yes. Did we listen to the same song? Yes. All right. Um, so Matt's wrong. Uh, Dickinson stated that this <laughs> Dickinson stated that this song was inspired by Winston Churchill. Uh, despite all of his shortcomings, he still had like the aptitude and history to take a stand against the Nazis when half his cabinet would have tried to make a deal. Uh, it's a lot slower of a song for the album, and it's definitely among the longer songs. I really like the melody on the chorus on this one. Um, it's not really a big standout one, but I, I definitely don't hate the song. And just because you don't like 80s ballads, like, you're wrong. See, here's the thing. I love me some 80s ballads. Uh, clearly not. This is like an 80s ballad. D- this <laughs> Dude, this song is way too long. It ca- comes in at like seven minutes. And oh, it's honey, just... that's not even long on this record. Oh, no. I make <laughs> notes of that. I very much made notes of that. But it just dragged on. And it, I was just like, it, they're... It felt like they made zero effort to spice it up compared like some 80s ballads. You could be like, okay, this is this band. This is this ballad because there was something in it that just separated it itself from the others. This felt like it was making no attempt to do that. So if you're a Maiden fan listening to this, I really apologize for Matt's behavior. He's not normally like this, but sometimes he just gets it utterly wrong. And so we'll go ahead and move on to the song Death of the Celts. Matt, what you got for this one? So we're clocking this one in at 10 minutes. Yep. And uh, you know what that means? We still have 30 minutes left of the record. Oh. <laughs> so uh, between the Barry to me or calling, I would like to speak with you. Uh, the, uh, to be fair, Iron Maiden did it first, though. Like Iron Maiden's had long songs in the past, which is true. Um, I just had to, I just had to make the jab at between the buried and me. I, the opportunity was there; I had to take it. That's fair. So the build in the beginning, unfortunately, is too long. So I'm just gonna just get right to complaining. Tone of this song instrumentally is not as bright as most of the other songs we've heard on this record, but would make sense because the song lyrically is a little bit more on the dreary side. I uh, feel like the if the song would have shaved some of the instrumental-only sections, the song would have been better. Uh, it, it, there was just a lot of sections where it was just the same riff repeated. And I respect some Do good you? riffage. I res- <laughs> Listen, I actually had to stop. I believe it was this song. And I had to go back and listen to, because I was sitting there and I was like, Master of Puppets has a little bit longer of an intro, but it was only a minute. So I, I can't really go based off of that. But the thing with 
that song is yes it's only a minute long where some of these songs including the the two following death of the celts is they're clocking it like two three minutes at least with master of puppets is there's a lot of variance that happens in that minute so it's keeping you like Ooh, it, it keeps you engaged. Um, and even the later stuff that Metallica has put out, and, you know, I guess I, I like Metallica, apparently, uh, is they're able to provide some level of not just sitting in the same thing for too long. And it allows, it allows the song to keep you engaged, and it doesn't allow the song to end up just losing track before the vocals ever come in. Matt, there's a really big hole in your argument here. You're comparing apples and oranges. You're comparing thrash metal to power metal. You're you're comparing one of the greatest metal bands of all time to Metallica. You're wrong. (laughs) Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I I have my faults with this song. Mm -hmm. Overall, I like it, but this is, like, where those musical hiccups kind of happen and the off-time switching tempos and it gets distracting. Yes, it's 10 minutes long, but what Metallica do and what Iron Maiden do are very different things. Oh, and, and, and 100%, I, I will not dispute that, but I'm, you know, going based off of what I'm familiar with is, and, and what you're familiar with is sadness. <laughs> <laughs> That's a conversation for another time. That's fair. Um, yeah. Like you said, this one's over 10 minutes long. It is a little bit too long, but the Arthurian vibe is kind of cool to it. It does get a little bit forgettable due to its length. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's hard to remember some of the interesting parts because it's wrapped up in so much else. Yeah. But, yeah, like, overall, like, I like the vibe of the song. I think it's kind of cool. It was weird because this one and Time Machine didn't have anything in the Apple Music interview. So I don't know if that was a weird thing on in part of Apple Music or if Bruce just didn't want to comment on them. It could be. But, yeah, overall, like, I like the song. Now, the next song, The Parchment, I hate this song. <laughs> yeah, this one clocks in at over 12 and a half minutes. Um, it's unfortunately just another intro that's too long, and it just doesn't give enough bite to keep me wanting more. Uh, I, I can appreciate, again, like I said before, I can appreciate long intros, but there has to be something to it. Give me a little bit of diversity in the riffage. Even when the vocals come in, though, the instruments stay the exact same. There is no change to... They're, they're not playing a different riff. The drums don't decide to pick it up a little bit. Nothing. It, it literally just, uh, it, it literally just stays the same. The vocals are the only thing that really want, made me want to ride the song out. And I, I gotta say, sorry, Maiden fans, this record's just not sitting well with me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the look in your eyes. There, there is some spice building up over. I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out how to properly handle this, because <laughs> this is going to go on the internet, and someday when we're big and famous, so it's like when one of us dies in a fiery atrocity of something, <laughs> somebody's going to go back and listen to this, and they're going to hear these words, and because it's obviously you who's going to die. Uh, <laughs> they're just gonna desecrate your grave in some fashion, and honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if I went to to go throw nickels at it. 
that I'm gonna walk uh, nickels at your grave specifically, okay. uh, instead of flowers because eh, nickels are a lot cheaper than anything that I would rather get you. Uh, <laughs> Oof. I have a feeling that I'm just going to find Ed, Eddie the zombie, a uh, life-size doll just laying on your grave. And I feel like that's just the ultimate form of desecration here for you. Because you're wrong, Matt, okay? This album's not that bad, okay? It's not amazing. It's not Fear of the Dark, but God, it's good. I will fight you on this. For 13 minutes, they do different things. <laughs> <laughs> they, don't, they don't just sit there and not change it up. They do that in like one part of the song. The rest of the song changes a lot. Still not so. Run to the hills, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> um, one uh, funny little bit of trivia on this song, too, is that all the band members had to learn it in parts because they couldn't just straight up learn a 13-minute song. <laughs> they had to learn it separately. 13 minutes? Yeah. I can't blame them. <laughs> Uh, all right, we'll we'll move on to the last one here. Um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna start this one off. Uh, this song is called Hell on Earth. I'm gonna read the utter atrocity that is Bruce Dickinson's commentary on the song from oh his God. Apple Music interview. Steve is quite an unconventional personality. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm quoting Bruce Dickinson here. Steve is quite an unconventional personality. He's not an extroverted person, except on stage when he goes raving mad with a bass. But I think he feels a lot of things really deeply about the world he's in. The English band Blur had an album called Modern Life is Rubbish, and I think Steve would concur with that sentiment and say, what kind of world are we creating? Maybe I should just go to sleep, and then if I pass on to the next life, maybe I'll come back and it's going to be better, because this place is hell on earth. But I don't think he's recommending accelerating your passage into the next world, because we've got a tour to do. But he's genuinely concerned about stuff. End quote. I don't know what to do with that. I don't either. <laughs> I just really felt the need to share that with people because it not only needed to be written down, but it needed to be said. Uh, the song feels honestly kind of reminiscent of Fear of the Dark being the, the final song on this album as Fear of the Dark was the final song on that one. Uh, it starts out with this really hallowing feel to it with clean and hollow guitars and the strings in the background. It kicks in back and forth between the upbeat and the quiet. And it does that really throughout the entire song. Again, it's a, another one that kind of escapes memory due to length. But overall, like, I really do like this song. Uh, it, it's something that I have no problem going back and listening to. All right. And uh, I'll go ahead and uh, pass it off to Matt here, who's going to give me some sort of diabolical atrocity that is his commentary on this song. Because he feels the need to desecrate everything that... It, mm, fight you Matt before you even say what you're going to say I'm going to fight you I'm looking <laughs> at your face and I just want to throw something at it because I know you're going to try and say something bad about Maiden this song is just over 11 minutes long and immediately just like the last two songs you know what it's got it's got a long intro oh no not that oh no the tempo doesn't pick up until about two minutes into the song and the vocals don't come in until about the three minute 30 second mark and Really just the same gripes I've had with the last two songs. I'm just disappointed. All right, guys, that's going to do it for our track-by-track <laughs> breakdown because I can't stand to hear Matt desecrate Iron Maiden anymore. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go ahead and uh, give our rating on this album. And I swear <laughs> to God, Matt, 
You couldn't have timed that transition any better. I literally had nothing else to say. I know you didn't because you're bad. Wow, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, Matt, on a scale of one to eight tentacles, I swear to God, if you say three, what's your rating on this album? 3.5. I will s- <laughs> <laughs> As soon as you said, if it's a three, I was like, here we go. <laughs> I feel like as soon as I said that, you're like, all right, I'm rating in a 3.5 just to prove them wrong. <laughs> uh, no, I, this, this was the rating I'd put on it last night. So um, this record has some really solid musicianship throughout, and I absolutely respect it. I also, I have to give respect to the band for thriving as long as they have. Bruce Dickinson, 63, and he still, you know, he s- still sings really well on top of performing like an absolute madman. Mm-hmm. Uh, based on the Kerrang interview, as he was actually talking about during the recording of this album, he is he tore his Achilles. Ooh. Uh, I can't remember exactly. I believe it was his Achilles, but he was recording uh, d- a little bit of the record in a boot, and his just leg was swollen like crazy. Oh man, I and totally understand how the ankle definitely affects the voice. Hey, he, he, <laughs> he said it, not me. Um, that being said, the record had enough about it that I wasn't a fan of the record. I may return to a handful of songs, but it's. I just feel like it's a weak addition to the legacy that they've established again 17 studio albums they've been around 41 years 13 live albums they've they've done a lot of stuff and it's just dog i'm not vibing so i'm gonna pass it off to you before you start trying fighting me i'm gonna give this album a five out of eight okay i think it was a good album i think it was amazing i i I agree like in comparison with Previous albums, they could have done better, but it was still a decent album. It's better than anything Metallica's put out as recent. I will (laughs) fight, dog. (laughs) So we're going to jump into the hidden track before we just start throwing hands, where we talk about something in the realm of music that's maybe not particularly related to this record. They'll just jump right into it. Uh, Bullet From a Valentine dropped a new song on September 10th, which is going to be coming up on their upcoming self-titled record, which will be releasing October 22nd. The song's called Shatter, and we see a return to the sound that older Bullet had. Uh, Really chonky, thick uh, riffage in this one. Uh, The vocalist, Matt, is just sitting there screaming, just the mm, that mm, good good heavy stuff um may may end up being a record that we have to do a review here on the podcast but i definitely plan on going back to the record if the the songs are if shatters any indication of what's to come off this record i will have to check it out because i have not heard the song um but you know given my past dealings with bullet for my valentine i'm hesitant to just because Anything after Fever, honestly, I hated. <laughs> I get, it. I get that. Yeah, they they definitely had a pretty uh, a good lull, a point where it was just everything wasn't that good. It's they're kind of becoming real hit and miss, but this song definitely has uh, some real real good bite to it. Fair enough. I'll have to check it out. Uh, yeah, for mine this week, uh, I've got a couple. Um, Escape the Fate released their Chemical Warfare B sides, and as you all know. Escape the Fate got the worst rating on any album that we've done here. And so I went into this 
uh, B-sides. It's got a total of five songs on it. Expecting this to be utter garbage. The first three songs are completely brand new songs that hadn't been heard on the record. Um, they're utterly forgettable. Uh, I honestly couldn't tell you what they sound like after listening to it twice. Uh, the first one, Around the Sun, features uh, Brandon Saller of Atreyu. Okay. That's 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 really it. Like th- There was nothing as a part of those three songs that I have any... Like, and honestly, I r- would have rathered them in on the album instead of other ones. I would have rather these three songs have been on the album. Okay. And, and, and instead of some of the other songs on there, just because they were so forgettable mm-hmm. that I feel like it probably would have helped it. Yeah. Uh, the other two songs on this were um, a acoustic rendition of Invincible and an acoustic rendition of Not My Problem. Okay. Honestly, they weren't terrible. It gave a little bit more variety to Craig's voice, and I feel like the mixing was done well on them. Okay. Otherwise, yeah, like the, it's not even worth listening to. Um, we also did get a new single from Emery called Concussion. Uh, this is like a return to old Emery, and mm. I love it. The kind of like mix of like their e- emotional side of things while also getting kind of heavy with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited. They're going to be putting out a new album here shortly uh, entitled Rub, Rub Some Dirt In It. Okay. And it's interesting how they're doing that one. Essentially, what they're doing is they're recording the album all in one piece, and so it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to hear and kind of break that apart. I'm not exactly certain when it's coming out, but I know. Yeah, it's out. that's hmm. That is kind of. I think it's cool artistically speaking. Oh yeah. Um, I just hope it translates well to the actual album itself. Yeah. No, for sure. But that is going to do it for today's podcast. We do appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. And we would also appreciate it if you would like, rate, subscribe, and comment on Apple Music, on iTunes, on Google Play, Amazon, Spotify, wherever else that you get your podcasts. We also are on a variety of social medias. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You can't find us on Twitter unless you want to start beef with us. And uh, you can also find us on YouTube and TikTok. And uh, next week, or this week, Wherever time falls, because time is a construct, (laughs) Uh, we're going to be breaking down the new aborted record, uh, which is going to be heavy. It's going to be gross, sludgy, disgusting, doom-filled, and I can't really wait to bring it to you guys. So we will see you later. We'll catch you in the next one. Matt, I'm going to fight you on this Iron Maiden. I swear (laughs) I'm going to fight you.